Welcome to Energy in Action. I'm your host, Marcy Young, and as a Mito patient myself, I appreciate you and the community you've helped us to build. This podcast honors the triumphs and struggles of patients and families affected by this disease and celebrates the work being done by doctors and researchers every day to make it a safer world for our people. We are a support group and a podcast focusing on all things related to mitochondrial disease. Hello, welcome Candace, Mito community. I want to welcome Candace Meyer, founder and CEO of Minds in Motion to our latest episode of Energy in Action. She has done such wonderful work supporting vestibular health throughout the mitochondrial community and beyond. And I'm really excited to learn more about her organization and how we can continue using those services to benefit more people in our community. So welcome, Candice. Thank you, Marcy. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, awesome. So let's get started. Tell me how this idea for this organization came to be. I am a reading specialist. I have been for 50 years. And 50 years ago, if someone was struggling in learning or reading, we probably would have assumed that something was wrong with them or they just weren't quite as smart as other children. 23 years ago, I was in charge of the Title I program for three schools. So I had several hundred children under my auspices, and I started thinking, there's something else going on here, because I started seeing how they were very bright, but they still were struggling. So I knew there was something standing in their way of learning. I started searching, because No Child Left Behind law forced me to look at it scientifically. And before we had just looked at issues of learning in a learning aspect, and cognitively. And so I stepped outside the realm of cognitive and almost started looking at it medically and thinking, there's something going on here. It looks like it's balanced, but I had to scientifically quantify it. This led me to searching for balance questions and balance issues. And it led me to find Dr. Lou Nashner, who was an MIT engineer who worked for NASA back in the 80s, And he developed a machine, computerized platform posturography machine, that could quantify how much balance was left in astronauts' brains and bodies when they came back from outer space. And so learning about this machine and actually going to his facility up in Oregon and being trained with doctors and nurses and clinicians, and I was the only reading specialist in the room, And they're looking at me like, what are you doing here? And I said, this is a leap of faith. (laughs) I think what I'm seeing with children has to do with balance, but I have to quantify it. So long story short, I purchased that machine, went on the road for six years, and any school that would let me in the door to measure children. And I would tell the principal, just send me 15 children. That's practically all we could measure in a day. And don't even tell me if they're struggling children or they're some of your brightest children. I want to see what it looks like scientifically. And what I saw blew my mind away. (laughs) I realized that names change, but no matter if I went to a city school, a country school, the richest school, the poorest school, the names changed, but the scientific measure looked the same in terms of functionality or non-functionality. And so I took that information And I started devising a program 
that would stimulate balance in children. Let me go back and say what Dr. Nashner had found when he, in the 80s, was studying astronauts. In outer space, when there's not enough gravitational pull on the inner ear system, then the sensory information to the brain becomes disorganized. So our astronauts were becoming muddled up in thought. They were having speech issues. They were even becoming dyslexic. And so when they came back from outer space, they had to put their minds back together, put their brains back together. And so even I heard a astronaut back in the 90s say on public radio that when he came back from outer space, he ha- it took him six months to put his head back together. And so I started questioning what did it look like, feel like, sound like, smell like for an astronaut who was one of our smartest scientists in America, what it felt like and looked like when you're not organized sensorially in your in your brain and your motor is not integrated with your sensory. So I started again on a, a long trek to find what in the world I could do while I was measuring these children to find out, did they really have balance or did they have balance issues? Long story short, 23 years later, we have measured over 1,700 children all across the United States and have found that you can scientifically and quantifiably show those who are not struggling and those children who are struggling, no matter if it be from dyslexia, brain injuries, even my little grandson who who has dupe seven. You start looking at the functionality of children in a different way. Wow. Then there's something you can do about it. So you did this research. You were able to quantify what you thought to be true initially. And what did you do from there? I started implementing it into schools because I wanted to see if on the broad spectrum, how it implicated and helped or didn't help every child at a school. And I told my principals, I don't want just to be looking at our Title I children who are struggling. I want it to be put into effect for the whole school because I realized what would happen if it if this Minds in Motion program was just for those children who were struggling, then the, the children who weren't struggling would say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that, you know, because those are for the kids who are struggling. And so I said, it, it's just, let's just pretend it's aerobic activity. That's all we're doing is aerobic activity. And let's see how it affects any or all of the children in the school. And that's when, again, it was just our eyes were open to the incredible fact that even the smartest children in school are many times struggling from inefficient vestibular systems. Here's what I mean. Because I was a reading specialist, I had teachers who would say, leave this child alone. He's the best reader in my classroom. I said, yeah, but you don't see that he cannot go up and down a hallway throwing and catching a beanbag and spinning around and catching it. I'm old and I can do it. Why would you not want that for every child? Understanding that the functionality of being able to spin in and turn while tracking something with your eyes at the same time will lead to better, not just academic behavior, but social emotional growth too. And so that's, that's what we learned out of our, our grand design when we started putting it in all different schools, measuring children pre and post and realizing, oh my goodness, this just isn't for the strugglers. It's for every child and adults in the school to help them function more proficiently. So what you're saying is with better training 
on the vestibular system, one can improve their function socially, emotionally, and cognitively? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing is establishing center of gravity strength because it's being controlled by the two inner ears. So we're trying to get to the inner ear systems, the two gyroscopes on either side of your brain to to help uh, the functionality of the two halves of your body, the two halves of your brain, your sensory systems, your eyes, and your auditory processing, and the motor. So as I was learning, I was trying to show teachers that we're not just affecting sensory, but we're affecting motor at the same time, and we're integrating the two. So the higher your integration is in terms of sensory function or motor function, the more proficient you are in reading and learning and math in social emotional awareness because you're actually changing the functionality of the cranial nerves to the brain. That's incredible. Yes. <laughs> so fast forward to today, are you still going in schools? Absolutely. Okay. That's the exciting part. When I was doing the exploratory phase, my two sons said, mother, you need to establish two centers that will not do this just for five to 10 minutes a day, but will do it for one hour to two hours a day and keep your scientific data and see how the children change. And the parents know, knowing that, that they only, this is the only thing changing in their life is coming to Minds in Motion. So I did that for about 8 to 13 years, <laughs> where I kept pre and post clinical data on this Neurocom machine and a host of other um, assessments, which would quantify how they're changing with their visual processing, their auditory processing, and their motor function, and social emotional growth. I mean, looking at everything, because I, I was trying so hard to prove it, what we were seeing in a clinic situation that helped us immensely understand how it can affect uh, most every child or adult that's out there. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a center in Louisville, Kentucky and University of Louisville. We made contact and so they kept uh, studies going. And so we've been published in three journals across the, the world showing that absolutely stimulating vestibular function to the degree that we understand it with frequency, intensity, and duration, starts changing the cognitive abilities, the social emotional growth, and even the athletic abilities of children. That's incredible work. So you have a center in Louisville. Is that your only center? When COVID hit, it was very hard to maintain the work we were doing because if one child got sick, then we had to close down after school. So after 13 years in Louisville, and we were in eight years up in uh, Indianapolis, the power of what I've learned with those two centers is that it didn't matter who I had running the center, because I couldn't be at both. I was traveling back and forth between the two. No matter whom I had in place, if they followed my protocols, the results were exactly the same. So it was so gratifying to understand you could replicate the results no matter who is basically running those protocols, if, they, if they're really following your basic protocols. Uh-huh. So do you meet with people virtually? Yes, we do. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's the hardest thing is because I had that one-on-one -on -one meeting with people in a center. Those days are over, but I have an incredible trainer that uh, we go out to the schools and 
I, I know in my heart that that's the best way to implicate change is to show how a school can do it five days a week, just five to 10 minutes a day can change the lives of, of children. So are you teaching the teachers, the gym teacher, the occupational therapist, what to be doing once you leave their school property? Absolutely. Okay. So you train them and the students and then the people, the staff at the school continue the work. Yes. Implement the the day-to-day, we call it, we call it the maze. <laughs> that's the training. That's the name for the training. It's the maze. Well, it's maze training. The maze is the, the set of 15 different stations that you would set up in a school situation in the hallway, in the gym, in rooms, outside, wherever, wherever you find room. It's great that the environment is adaptable for the training. Absolutely. And speaking to your audience, Parents have set it up in their homes, outside, even in the living room. I, I remember presenting to one set of parents and then coming back a year later and the mother comes up to me. She goes, oh my goodness, I put it in my living room. That's all I could have room for. And my child would jump over the coffee table, circle around <laughs> the chair, run up and down the hallway doing the beanbag boogie. And she graphically showed me how he had changed every nine weeks academically. And at the same time, you, you start seeing other changes in children. You see a uh, better attention span, more focusing, greater coordination, clearer speech. It, it just goes on and on. Increased muscle tone, better posture. I remember one teacher coming up to me, one of my old friends, uh, saying in the early days, all you're doing is increasing their self-confidence. That's all you're doing. And I thought, well, darn, <laughs> I, I thought I was doing more. But if, if you're only increasing self-confidence, now I would know the scientific reason because you're your center for well-being is housed in your cerebellum. So we're stimulating the cerebellum to the inner ear system. And yes, of course, we're increasing self-confidence because it's not a feel-good thing. It's a brain thing. Well, and if a child or an adult starts behaving and, and developing in areas that they may have struggled in, there will be an increase in self-confidence <laughs> as well. But there's definitely something happening in between right. to make that happen. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's a win-win. I thought, well, yes, yes, we're, we're making those differences. How I see it is we are changing the visual perception to the brain and the auditory perception to the brain. Some children, it's more visual. Other children, it's more auditory. Other children, it's more motor. And so when I, when I train a school, I get them to understand it's all of it. You know, so a child who is struggling in reading. In the early days, I, I thought, how, how can I show this to other teachers? How can I figure this out? And so we started doing a simple pencil test, having the child track the, the pencil with their eyes. And I mean, it just, it, again, it blew me away. I, I thought, how did we not see this all those years ago? How did we not understand that the functionality of the eyes is being controlled by the inner ear system? So the day I saw the science on that, it, it, again, it was just like, it gave me so much hope realizing so they're not just children who are struggling. There is something that we can do about it to physiologically change these children and make life better for them because they are smart inside. The eyes, the muscles around the eyes just aren't working right. Or the two tiniest muscles leading to the brain, which are in the middle ear, they're, they're not toned properly enough. So we're actually doing 
push-ups for the two tiniest muscles leading to the brain. That's a great way to describe it. It's a push-up for your brain. And it's so simple. Again, the more science I got behind it, the more clinical pieces I understood as a reading teacher. See, I'm coming about this as a reading teacher. A very interesting entree into this industry, right? Absolutely. I started presenting to pediatricians, to neurologists. Does the data show that you're seeing the same benefits in children and the same increase in I'll call it productivity or, or improvement with um, children as, as you do adults? Absolutely. My focus was always on the children. So then as I ran my, as I ran my centers, I started having, you know, the grandmothers and the, the mothers saying, I wish I could do that too. And so I started keeping a little bit of data on the old people and started realizing <laughs> <laughs> that you can absolutely change your functionality because see, as you get older, you start losing muscle tonality. I lose it in my arms. I lose it in my face. I lose my stomach. And as you tone, retone all the muscles in your body, the two tiniest ones are the hardest ones to get to. If you can retone those muscles, then your brain starts, I'd like to say, wakening up. I mean, it starts, your auditory processing starts increasing, your visual processing starts increasing, probably back to the way it was when you were in your 20s and 30s. Hmm, that's so interesting. It's so important to your health and something that most people don't think that much about. They don't think that this is an important area to help them over the course of their lives. You know, we do brain breaks and the wordle is popular to keep your brain in shape and, and things like that. But there's so much more to it. So much more to it. I mean, that's why yoga has been around for thousands of years, because it, it's basically balanced. So there you are stimulating your inner ear systems by doing, you know, harder and harder yoga, you know, as the days go by or the weeks go by. And so what usually people will ask me, uh, well, how, how does your program differ from another vestibular program? And I, I tell them that because we understand the importance of frequency, intensity, and duration. That's why I try to leave with my teachers and my parents who come to be trained with the emphasis on intensity. If you do it five days a week, there's the frequency, how long you do it, that's the duration. But if you continually do the same thing day in and day out, like an obstacle course, that's all good vestibular movement, but it's not going to change you neurologically. You need to change it up week by week. And so when I created these handbooks for elementary and then for middle school and high school and adults, that's what we focused on, that you change it up week by week by week. So the exercises that are done, do they build on or do they change? They change. Okay. Just for five to 10 minutes a day, that's what I kept my initial research on and my data was just 10 minutes a day, how you could neurologically change the children. You have a different handbook for elementary, middle, high school, and adults, correct? Just basic two handbooks. One's for elementary. And it, it honestly was for all the grades uh, for about eight or 10 years. And then realized, well, some of them are a little bit babyish. The, uh, the older kids don't want to do the puppy dog crawl, you know. They, they, Why not? <laughs> I do, but... That's better than a science test, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We made it a little more black and white. We made it a little more intense. 
And that's what we kept research on, too. Uh, I have an incredible trainer, uh, Matt Martin, from Indianapolis area. Uh, he was a, a past admin, school administrator, school teacher. And he, uh, for eight years, he kept data to show how the supposed slower children in the school were surpassing the normal children by doing this uh, minds in motion maze. Wow. So give me an example of an exercise from the elementary handbook. Can you articulate? One is called the beanbag boogie. And each week, uh, this one changes. So you have either one beanbag or two beanbags. And you're just, you're basically throwing and catching. You know, and I, I train the children like, well, as you're throwing and catching, your eyes are tracking. Your head is moving up and down. Now you're going to be moving in time and space. So you're moving in time and space in a directed pathway that you've already set up and you're throwing and catching the beanbag. So maybe week three, you're throwing the beanbag up and you're spinning around and catching it. Or you're throwing the beanbag up and you're hitting it with your elbow and trying to catch it. So yes, of course, we have children who can't catch it, but it's the doing of it. It's the motor planning and the trying to track the beanbag and trying to catch it, all of those multiple motor pieces that start physiologically changing the child. And everyone in, say, your grade is doing the same thing. So you're motor moving through this maze, doing the beanbag boogie. Then you will go to through the, the beam team. So you're walking on balance beams and you're going sideways and you've got one beanbag on your shoulder and you're trying to maintain your balance and keep the beanbag on your shoulder. It's all fun. I mean, that's, I designed it for fun. I kind of want to try that myself after we get up. <laughs> well, and you don't realize how much focus it takes and, and how much coordination and it doesn't matter whether or not you can do it, but it's the trying of it. And each week you just get better and better. And so then the children, I mean, they love it. And they'd much rather be doing that than sitting back at their desk in their classroom. <laughs> right, right. And they don't realize how much benefit they're getting from doing some of these things. So I want to make sure I understand, even if a child isn't truly successful at throwing it up and spinning around and catching it, the muscles are still being worked. Absolutely. And they still have benefit, even if you're not successful at the actual action. Absolutely. And, and that's the power of it. It, it. It's the follow through. It, it's the coordination. It's the, the sensory piece of where am I in time and space? So I'm not running into my neighbor. I'm trying to stay on this pathway that's, yeah. And so we started seeing those kind of changes in children who the teachers would tell us, oh my gosh, now they're standing in line and they don't have their hands all over their their neighbor. They're not running their hand down the wall as they go down the the, ha the hallway, which, you know, we teachers used to think, well, they're just doing it to aggravate us. And it's no, it's like they are trying to tell themselves where they are in time and space. The time and space piece is such a huge part of it. And one of the tests, one of the assessments on this computerized platform posturography machine is actually about time and space. So we were able to quantify how these children were increasing in their understanding of time and space by, by pre-testing and post-testing them. Then UofL, University of Louisville, one of their results of, of the data keeping was that they started seeing the correlation between 
how well these children were doing in time and space and the quantification of how well they were doing in math, mathematical ability. And that was the first time in the world. So, I mean, it's just it's so exciting. And It is really exciting. And you want the best for your child. So anything you can do, and this sounds easy. There's no machinery. There's no scary lab work. There's no, nothing like that. Nothing like that. It's just pure fun. I mean, it's how we old people say we used to play in the old days, you know, right? We were outside in time and space all of the time. We were riding our bikes all over the all over the town. And yes, and so, and we lose that. We've lost that. And it, I hate it for our children's sake because we can't let them run loose anymore like we ran loose back in the the 50s and the 60s. So let's talk about the mitochondrial community. So I'm a pa- I'm a mito patient myself and I have always one of my first symptoms was in my vestibular system. And I first noticed it when I was in my 20s. I graduated from college and I got really into hot yoga and I am super flexible also probably because of my condition, but yoga was great for me, but I couldn't do the balance work. And I would stare at these other people in class and not understand why I couldn't do dancer's pose and this and that. And it became such a struggle for me. And then I started feeling other symptoms of the disease. And so obviously yoga became a thing of my past, but it was the first time that I really realized how poor my balance was. There could be 60 yogis in the room and I definitely had the worst balance. Oh. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm not alone in the Mito community that we might be hit harder with some of these inadequacies. Right. So Tell me what I could do to become a client of Minds in Motion. What would be my first step to, you know, get a handbook, get working with you? I, I would say visit our website, mindsinmotion.com, and reintroduce yourself to some of these issues that I've been mentioning today. There are handbooks, there are balance boards, there are rotational boards. Uh, we, we sell, those are all handmade that we do sell. Wow, so you've invented the the equipment and you sell the equipment as well. Right. So it's not just the handbook and the service and the training, but it's the equipment too. Absolutely, yes. You're incredible. No, <laughs> no, I just, I saw such a need and my heart just ooh, went out to all the kids that were struck because I was, I was always at the head of the class. So passionate about what you do. I, it's it's hard not to be because you, we've we've seen such changes in children that it's it's so gratifying and it's so uh, near and dear to my heart. I can tell to see how you can change children so simply. One of my heroes is Dr. Lou Nashner because one of the stories is he invented this neurocom machine. He was laughed off the stage at a AMA, American Medical Association Conference of Doctors back in the 80s, laughed off the stage because they said, there's no way that you have invented a machine that can quantify balance. And he walked off that stage that day and he didn't give up. He just kept going and and created the the gold standard in balance equipment for the whole world. But but see, it's being used in hospitals. It's being used for grandma and grandpa who are losing their balance. It's being used for people who have been in car wrecks or contusions, concussions. And we were the first one to bring it to the mainstream to show, oh my goodness, 
this is a, a huge piece that you can show what's off in our children. And they're beautiful. They're bright. They're lovely. Every single child is is perfect. So ma- no matter you know what disease you have or what is your issue that's bringing you down, you can continue to tone your muscles. You're activating those two tiniest muscles that are so hard to get to in your middle ear, and you can. What I think is you can make life easier for yourself if you do these very simplistic measures, no matter if you're 4, 16, or 84. This is such good advice. I am going to spend some time on the website today. I feel like I personally could really benefit from this. And I know there's so many listeners out there that should take advantage of it as well. So now what if I'm a parent and I want to get Minds in Motion in my, in my student's school, in my child's school? What, what should I do? My advice is find your go-to person in your school, whether it be the vice principal. Usually the principal's too busy, mm-hmm. unless you have a very small school and they're the key person in your school. Your vice prin- assistant principal, your counselor is a wonderful one because they're the ones that have to deal with all of these emotional problems that children are bringing to school or find a very passionate teacher, one of the movers and shakers in the school and email us at info at mindsemotion.com. I will send you some brochures so people can start the conversation. It's the not knowing that is, is holding us back. We just need to start the conversation. And then I would invite them to come to be trained. We, we do regional trainings. We're having a training this summer in Louisville uh, at U of L, one of their conference rooms. So you would take a gym teacher, you would take a, a counselor, a principal, a reading teacher, <laughs> <laughs> a reading specialist. Yes. So you have the training in Louisville at a specific date in the middle of the summer. Do you recommend integrating it into a school at the beginning of the school year? I really do. It doesn't have to be, but that's a wonderful time to do it. Everyone's all fresh and ready to go. You can start it just maybe with second grade, or you can just start it with the fourth grade. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of schools think it's just for kindergarten and or preschool and kindergarten. It's like, oh my goodness, it's, it's just as valuable for those fifth and sixth graders as it is for second and third. Second and third are wonderful to start with because they love life <laughs> and they love, they just love moving and, and they're not too cool yet. No. And then the other children in the school just entice them a little bit. You know, they, other students would be walking by and they're like, what are they doing? And oh, they're doing minds in motion. Well, maybe we can do it someday. I'm sure it looks fun. Yeah, it does. It is fun. They, it is. It's fun. They, they want to be there. That's that's the beauty of it. And that's how I designed it. So now is a really good time to get in touch with your child's school as things are starting to wrap up for the current school year and planning is taking place for the next school year. Absolutely. One good point is that Michelle Obama, one of the wonderful things she did was being able to take title, I think it's three money, and being able to spend it on motor development, which is incredible because back in the old days, we, we weren't able to do that. Honestly, when I started, I would, I would sneak the stuff into, in the back door <laughs> and, and have them. We we're supposed to be tutoring at the same time we were tutoring. We were walking them on these balance boards and balance beams and, and doing beanbag and ball things with them. And so life is changing. And uh, the research is out there to show, yes, it's imperative that we connect motor development 
with sensory processing and academic behaviors. Wow. And it seems like the improvements can be endless. So we have pre and post uh, very simple assessments that we we train teachers and parents in our um, in our training sessions to do. So you can you can see it's not just us saying they're getting better. You can actually measure to see how they're getting better. The work you've done is absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story and teaching us how we can all benefit from what you've developed. You've been such a joy to have on our podcast. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. I can't wait to learn more myself. I'm sure there's other listeners feeling the same way. So thank you, Candice. Well, thank you for the pleasure of being here. I, I really do thank you. Thank you for joining us. I encourage you to browse other Energy in Action podcast episodes. I'm so inspired by the resilience of those in previous episodes, and I know you will be too. 